This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. The information presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives and co-author of the book Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. We're going to touch on advanced investing information today. Over time, you may want to gain a deeper understanding of more advanced aspects of investing, like how different types of risk can impact your portfolio, duration and maturity for bonds, online trading, and using margin accounts. We'll also take your personal finance questions this morning. Just need to give us a phone call. The number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you're not near a phone but need a question answered, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. And uh, just a reminder that all of our past shows are available for listening back to if you'd like. Uh, you can find our shows on our website, mpbonline.org slash money talks. Also, your favorite podcasting uh, platform. You'll find the shows available there as well. You might want to go back and listen maybe to the April 3rd show where we gave some basic investing uh, definitions and tips. But today we're going to be a little bit more advanced than that. Uh, so good morning, Ryder. Hope you're doing well. Good morning. Uh, any financial news in the news? Um, well, just a little bit kind of looking at looking at the broader market. It's been after the first of the year, we had a nice run up and then it's been kind of all over the place. Uh, and we're starting, we're kind of right now we've creeped, crept back up, um, not to the highest point of the year, but, um, crept back up a little bit. So that's a little bit of strength there. Um, that's, that's just kind of the quick market view. Uh, there was a positive uh, jobs report uh, as well, if I remember the news correctly. Yeah, and so the jobs market is getting really interesting um, because we have, obviously we have very low uh, unemployment, um, but there's still a little more than historically uh, – a little more people not even looking for jobs, um, but a lot of the a lot of the employment gains gains have started coming for people who weren't even looking. So, which is pretty powerful, you know. Someone who's just like sitting around at home, and you know, they're maybe they're thinking about going back to school, but they're definitely not thinking about getting a job. And then all of a sudden, they have an opportunity to get a job, and they move from not even interested in getting a job to getting a job. So that's kind of a um, powerful uh, uh, thing going on in the labor market. So that's where a lot of the gains are going to come from. They're going to come from folks who just weren't eligible to get a job, uh, you know, didn't, weren't interested in getting a job. That's, that's where the gains are going to um, come from. And so those dynamics are quite interesting right now. We're looking for your personal finance questions this morning. And in the meantime, we are also going to be talking throughout the hour about some advanced, advanced investing uh, information. If you'd like to call in today and join the program, the number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven 
877-672-7464. You can email the show. It's money at mpbonline.org. So we'll start off uh, by talking about uh, duration and maturity for bonds. And again, we are going to be advanced, but we can give a little basic information as well. Remind mm-hmm. folks, writer, what a bond is. Right. So when talking about investing in individual bonds, because uh, this is something often people encounter bonds when they're buying municipal bonds, because you oftentimes buy those individually. Corporate bonds, um, folks usually buy in a bond fund. A bond is uh, it's a loan to a company. It has a value, uh, typically a hundred or a thousand dollars, just at a clean, you know, level value, and it has an interest rate and it has a maturity. So it's something like. Uh, GE borrows $1,000 and will pay a 3% coupon. The interest payment is called a coupon. Uh, 3% coupon for 10 years. And those are kind of, that's pretty much the terms of the bond. I mean, you can get into a lot of details about this, that, and the other, but that's pretty much it. Obviously, huge issuers are the United States and their bonds. We call them treasury bonds or treasury notes, treasury bills, whatnot. And then, as I mentioned, municipal borrowers, so the state of Mississippi, states, counties, municipal Municipalities, they will also issue bonds because they need money. And um, especially for a government, they can't sell stock. But, um, you know, you can't because our government is not for sale, allegedly. Uh, but you can purchase bonds. You can loan them money. And then, of course, there are corporate issuers, and they make uh, another large segment of the market. And so, like I said, you can buy them in bond funds, but some people do like buying individual bonds. There's various strategies for how to buy them, particularly if you need income. You can buy bonds in such a way that you always kind of have the right amount of cash coming into your account if you just kind of structure the bonds the right way. And so that's why if you're buying individual bonds uh, or even comparing bond funds, it's important to understand concepts like maturity and duration. Excuse me. So let me let me uh, jump in here for just a minute. So uh, and again, I'm uh, I'm probably at the basics end of the investing uh, information strata. <clears throat> so I loan GE a thousand dollars and they pay me that money back each year with interest until my my money has been returned. So most of the time with a bond, uh, it it's not like a mortgage where you pay a little bit of principal and interest. With a bond, it's typically they only pay the interest until the maturity day. So again, a ten year bond, you would typically expect to receive that that coupon payment, that interest payment, typically twice a year. And uh, and then at the end of 10 years, you get the whatever thousand dollars back. And and so, again, that that time period is generally referred to as the maturity. And so duration is an important concept because, you know, OK, so what are the risks with a bond? I mean, the biggest risk, of course, is just that whoever you loaned money to doesn't pay you back. Um, that's that's a big risk. We call that credit risk. And but essentially, there's not there's not a ton you can do there. There's not the the analysis is essentially do I think I'm going to get the money back? And if it's yes, then it's oh well, fine, okay, I'll get it. But the other risk, there's a big risk called interest rate risk, and that is that say you loan somebody money at three percent. Uh, and then you say, okay, in ten years, you're going to pay me three percent for ten years. Uh, da da da. Uh, well, what if next year the prevailing interest rate is five percent? Well, 
you haven't you haven't lost money quite, but you just you, you could have held out for a higher interest rate. And a lot of times you can think about this in, in the sense that um, people, when the interest rates are low, they want to lock in their, their mortgage rates, right? Because you only want to pay a low rate. Uh, and then, you know, if the next year, you know, if I get a mortgage for 3% and next year mortgage rates are 4%, I'm kind of like, hey, nice. I saved myself a bunch of money by going ahead and getting that deal done. So duration is the sensitivity of the bond's price to interest rates. Um, let's see what the definition we have here says it's stated in years. A lot of times people will quote a duration in years. It's actually a unitless number. Uh, years just kind of happens to work out mathematically. Um, but it's it's a measure of how sensitive the bond is to the change in interest rates. And the bigger the number, the more sensitive. So that means if interest rates are going up, your bond value is going down. Um, and so, for instance, I did a few calculations. And everybody loves it when I say I did a few calculations. <laughs> and um, so this is so it, you would think, you know, you buy a bond, you can't lose money on it. Well, the value of the bond can go down. So I looked at say you buy a 30 year treasury and a treasury. It's guaranteed by the U.S. government. You're not going to lose money on that. Right. So they're paying about three percent right now. And so you, it's worth $100. The duration of that is almost 20, which is a pretty high duration. Um, that means it's very sensitive to changes in interest rates. If you wait just n- tomorrow, you wake up and the interest rate is 4%, your bond price has gone down to about $83. $83. So you've lost $17, which if you're only making $3 a year for holding that bond, that's almost six years worth of interest payments. So a long maturity bond is very sensitive to changes in interest rates. And that's how you can, you know, again, people buy bonds, they think they're not going to lose money. That's how you lose money on bonds, uh, changes in interest rates. And that's particularly important now because interest rates have been going up. They've been very, very, very low for a very, very long time. And they're finally going up and people are seeing losses on bonds, uh, particularly individual bonds. Uh, we're talking about advanced investing uh, this morning, and if you have a question about bonds, which we're talking about right now, or a personal finance question you need answered, you can give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. So you've been telling us about the duration, um, mm-hmm. and that the higher the duration, the more sensitive your bond is to changes in the interest rates. Mm-hmm. How do you find out what a bond's duration is? Uh, well, I have my handy-dandy um, Texas Instruments BA2 Plus Professional, which I can calculate that for you with. Um, but no, most uh, a lot of financial websites will give you that sort of information. If you are buying the bond from a broker, they will be able to tell you that information. It's, um, it's kind of a weird reiterative calculation, so I wouldn't suggest doing it by hand. Um, but you, it, it's just a calculation, and, and any, any place that you're getting information about bonds should have that. Because, again, that's one of the most important things. It's how sensitive is this bond to changes in the interest rate. So do most people, investors, hold their bond until it matures? And what happens as it approaches maturity? Yes. Uh, if, you, if you're buying individual bonds, t- typically you know, folks like us, retail customers, if you are buying individual bonds, your aim is to hold them to maturity. Um, some pe- There are people who do trade bonds. Uh, often that 
that is a function of you know banks will have bond trading desks because they have customers who sometimes want to buy bonds and sometimes want to sell bonds so they have to kind of play both ends of that stick and but most a lot of people will buy them just to hold them to maturity because you say you know what I am going to need this specific payment for this number of years and this bond satisfies my needs so so as that bond goes back to maturity it will go back to that value I mean so long as it's going to pay out so like I discussed earlier that 30-year treasury bond you may have lost $17 you know if, if the interest rate jumps up but after over the 30 years you would expect it to go back up towards that par value and the closer you get to maturity the closer it's going to get because um, one thing is the closer you get to maturity then the less sensitive that bond is uh, to interest rates we need to take our first break uh, when we get back we will continue our discussion about advanced investing we're going to move on to online trading but if you have a question about investing in bonds or a personal finance question please feel free to give us a call the number is one eight seven seven. MPB Ring. It's 1-877-672-7464. You can email the show. It's money at mpbonline.org. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives co-author of the book Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. Today we're talking about advanced investing information. We open the show by talking a little bit about uh, bonds and uh, maturity and duration of bonds. So if you have a bond question, if you have a personal finance question, uh, you can give us a call this morning during our conversation. The number is one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 877 672-7464. You can also send us an email, money at mpbonline.org. So this uh, part of the show, we want to talk about online trading. And again, uh, we'll start out basically before we get a little bit more advanced. So what exactly is online trading? Uh, so online trade, you're buying and selling uh, stocks, bonds, mutual funds, exchange-traded funds, um, but you're just doing it on the internet, um, just a web-based uh, access. And so if you've been doing this a long time, if you've had an investment account for a long time, you've probably encountered a situation where you go into a Charles Schwab store or you call somebody and ask them, um, hello, sir, or please, I'd like to buy 100 shares of Apple. Could you 
do that for me? And they say, okay. And you hear some noises and they say, okay, fantastic. We've purchased 100 shares of Apple for you. Have a great day. Um, just now, you know, the internet, I keep telling people, the internet's going to be a big thing one day. And uh, <laughs> you can indeed do that same thing online. Um, you just log into a website, log into your Charles Schwab, your tdameritrade.com, and you do it yourself. Uh, so that's that's the just general online trading. You're placing your trades, but you're doing it yourself on the internet. Um, so what would uh, the um, advantages or the uh, – why would someone want to do that? Uh, convenience. Uh, you can do it without putting your pants on in the morning. Um, I know the Gestalt Gardener is going to love to hear that. Um, and also price. Uh, you know, because these they they've built their, this infrastructure, uh, they can the the Schwabs and TD Ameritrade, the discount brokers of the world, can serve a lot more customers this way. It costs them a lot less to serve customers this way, and so they've cut prices. Um, and and recently, you know, for a long time, uh, the kind of low cost trade was. 10 to $15, and in the past year or so, a lot of those have come down to about 5 6 $7 for an online trade. Uh, there's even you know lots of deals where you can get free trades. Um, certain securities will have free trades in them, and uh, whereas if you, if you call online or you have to work with a human broker... Then the trade will, you know, maybe cost you. I've seen even forty dollars to place a trade, which is, I mean, it's crazy. If you're going to be buying a thousand dollars worth of shares, uh, paying forty dollars for it is way less affordable than paying five bucks on it or zero. That's so. It's like a transaction fee. It's money you're paying the broker basically for exactly. doing the the work for you. Exactly. And I mean, it's just like a lot of other things. You know, online banking banks really encourage that so that you don't you know take up their floor space and eat all their candy that are uh, that's in the lobby. We have a caller on the line, so let's invite uh, Ron, who's called in from Byram, to the show. Good morning, Ron. Go ahead, please. Good morning, gentlemen. Um, just a couple of quick questions here on uh, stocks. Shares outstanding and dividend yield. Can you kind of elaborate on, on those two things? Uh, shares outstanding, uh, a lot of shares outstanding. Is that good or bad in reference to a stock? Uh, just uh, your, your, you know. Your, your thoughts mm -hmm. on that, and I'll hang up. Sure, yeah. Um, so, just the number of shares outstanding doesn't that doesn't really matter. Uh, so, uh, you know, a bigger company is going to have more shares. Um, you know, unless they're just like super duper more expensive. Um, but the reason they say shares outstanding, why they have to uh, you know discern because you have um, shares authorized, shares issued, and shares outstanding. Um, um, shares outstanding are generally considered what is available to trade any given day. Um, shares authorized is going to be the biggest number. You know, when a company forms, they're like, okay, hey guys, you know, we're going to make a company. We're, we're going to issue, we're going we're to give ourselves a million shares. Uh, we're going to be allowed to issue a million shares. And then they sit around, they each give themselves a couple. They, you know, be like, well, all right, let's each get a thousand and then let's sell half a million to the public. Well, that half a million is, you know, free and available to trade. You know, it's the, not the ones kind of locked up by the, by the founders or by these institutional uh, holders who aren't, you know, or have some restriction on selling. So that half a million is outstanding. And available to trade, uh, whereas a million is authorized and maybe six hundred thousand are are issued. 
Uh, so that's what outstanding means. And so to get the market cap, you typically, you know, to say how big is this company, you say what is the price of each share and then multiply that by the number of shares outstanding. And that's how you get the size of the company. Uh, and then the other question was about dividend yield. So, and this is a concept kind of related to bonds because what we're talking about is the dividend is, you know, a payment that a a company might make on their on their shares. So this is not a payment on bonds. Um, you know, this is just a way of rewarding shareholders for being kind enough to give the company your money forever and, you know, let them let them exist as a company. And so say the share is trading at $10 and they pay out a uh, let's say 10 cent dividend uh, so each share is worth $10 each share gets 10 cents that is a 1% dividend that dividend yield is just saying you know what percentage of the value of stock is being paid out in a dividend and so it's, when you when you look at a, uh, the return of a stock dividend yield is part of it um, you know, part of it, that price will fluctuate, that price will rise or fall. But part of it is that dividend payment that gets paid out in cash to you. And you get to, you can reinvest that, you can go spend that, you can do whatever you like with it. But that is part of your return. And so that's how dividend yield is calculated. Oftentimes, you know, if people like, uh, like dividend yielding, dividend paying companies, that's, you know, value companies. Um, people like to see a, a higher dividend, but, um, watch out. There are a lot of companies that just pay a huge dividend and it's totally not sustainable. Look for someone who's been paying that dividend for a long time. They haven't had a huge financial change. That's going to mean they can't continue to pay out that dividend. Um, but look for something decent. And if I remember correctly from earlier discussions we've had on dividends, uh, companies don't have to pay them and they can change them whenever they want. That's correct. And, and, and that's the thing. You know, you see that uh, one of the one of the kind of big stories of the great financial crisis in 2008 was that this um, uh, this analyst, I want to say Meredith Whitney, she said she looked at Citibank. They've been paying out their dividend, paying it and increasing it every now and then for for decades. And she said, you know what? it looks like they are not going to have the money to pay out that dividend anymore. And that was kind of a wake-up call for a lot of people because people trusted these banks. These banks, they had been doing this dividend for years and years and years. And she looked at it and she was like, you know what? It looks like they're running out of cash. And for whatever reason, that's not a good thing. And, and, and it really hits home to the investors when they see that dividend get cut. So you know, sometimes people are buying a stock for a juicy dividend dividend, but if they do not have the finances to pay it out, they don't have to pay it out. I mean, they can just cut it. Um, so you can really only count the dividends that have already been paid out. So thank you for your call, Ron. And we've got some open phone lines. If you have a personal finance question, uh, I'd like to ask questions about what we've been talking about. So far, we've covered uh, bonds, and we're also talking about online trading. But again, whatever your personal finance question might be, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven. 672-7464. You can email the show. Just send it to money at mpbonline.org. So in our discussion of online training, and I think you've mentioned them a couple of times, but if you could remind us,
notice of some of the websites, areas you could go uh, to do online trading? Uh, yeah, so most major brokers, uh, Charles Schwab, TD Ameritrade, these are some of the largest ones. Fidelity is a very large broker. Uh, Charles Schwab and TD Ameritrade are very, very, very specifically geared towards uh, retail investors. That's just you know, most people who are managing their own account. Um, and another one that can be fairly popular with people who love trading is interactive brokers. Uh, they are very cheap. They have a li- they have typically have a higher uh, minimum account size, um, but they will they have features that are designed for people who just want to trade a lot. And I would not encourage you to do that. So you would just go to uh, one of these companies' websites, create an account, and, mm-hmm. and off you go. Exactly. And uh, opening account, since it's a financial account, it's kind of like opening a bank account. You're going to have to give, uh, obviously, some proof of, well, you may have to give a proof of address. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, Social Security number, address. You might have to answer a little questionnaire about you know, how much money you make, uh, what your uh, financial goals are, and what kind of your risk tolerance is so that you you know, they can kind of because they do. I mean, there are a lot of regulations about this. They do kind of monitor and can restrict your trading if they think you're doing something uh, illegal or dangerously inappropriate. Um, so is online investing the same thing as day trading? Um, no, you can day trade. I mean, if you are day trading, you probably are doing it online. But day trading just refers to trading very frequently. Uh, again, it gets its name typically from trading within the day. Uh, day traders often do trade online. Uh, like I mentioned, interactive brokers is kind of geared towards that for people who do trade a lot. Uh, but they, you know, just because you're doing it online doesn't mean it's day trading. So it's uh, basically you're sort of trying to take advantage of, of small fluctuations. Exactly. Yeah, very small fluctuations. Because, you know, you do see fluctuations. You do see prices change within the day. You do see prices change on a very short time. Uh, and some people feel they have some uh, special uh, skill here, uh, can, can spot these patterns, uh, y- you know. People will buy and sell things within a minute, within you know seconds. Um, the people who are going to do very well at this are you know the uh, uh, high speed traders, which are typically just a bunch of computers. Uh, that that does sound sort of risky, though, from just the novice point of view. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, anytime you're making a lot of trades, there's a lot of chances for things to go wrong. Okay, let's get another call in before our next break, and it goes to Janice, who's in Calhoun City. Good morning, Janice. Go ahead, please. Thank you for your program. I had a question about the, the PERS system, mm-hmm. uh, public retirement system, or something. Uh, and they give you an option of taking like, um, uh, a partial lump sum option mm-hmm. um, and then having the rest of it annuitized. Mm-hmm. Um, would you recommend that a person do that as opposed to just having the whole thing annuitized? Yeah, that totally depends on your personal uh, financial situation. Um, just kind of a general idea. Um, folks who don't have 
any other retirement savings and their PERS benefit is still pretty generous, it can be useful to have some of that partial lump sum maybe rolled over into an IRA. Um, and, and the reason is, is that gives you just a little extra flexibility. Uh, because if you have essentially nothing saved up for retirement and say PERS is offering you uh, $100,000 plus you'll still get whatever you know monthly payment you need, as long as the monthly payment covers it, then that $100,000 you take, you can get that invested in an IRA and, and that gives you a little more flexibility. Maybe you're going to need to replace a car and you know spend ten twenty thousand dollars uh maybe a down payment on a house maybe helping somebody out uh with college tuition or something um so in that case that that is an instance where it makes sense to take the partial lump sum um in a case where somebody already has a, a lot saved up and you they don't necessarily need the partial lump sum it it's just a matter of of kind of f- placing a value based on your individual needs on all of the different parts of your retirement plan. And if that partial lump sum is very valuable to you, then it makes sense to take some. If that uh, str- uh, guaranteed stream of income is valuable to you, it makes sense to take that. All right, uh, Janice, uh, thanks for your call. And I would just uh, also say that uh, while uh, PERS uh, employees can't give you advice, then if you, if you, if you do set up a, a meeting with them, they can at least lay out all the various options that you have for retirement. Mm-hmm. And that way uh, you can make a more informed uh, decision on what is best for you. Yeah, they're very good about uh, giving you all of those options. And an, an investment advisor or financial advisor should be able to help you, you know, kind of figure out what works best for your financial situation. Okay, time for another break. When we get back, we've got a call on the line and more advanced investing and information to share with you. If you have a question for us this morning, give us a call. The number is 1-877-MPB-RING. It's 1-877-672-7464. Back with more after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. I'm Kevin Farrell here with Robert Tapp, Portfolio Manager and New Perspectives and co-author of the book Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. We've been talking about some advanced investing information this morning and looking for your personal finance questions. We have some open phone lines at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one 672 You can email the show, money, at mpbonline.org. This morning we talked a little bit about uh, the direction 
expiration and maturity of bonds. We're talking all about uh, online trading and hope uh, in just a few minutes uh, to move on to uh, what margins are. But we do have a caller on the line. So we say good morning to Susan in Purvis. You're on the air, Susan. Go ahead, please. Hey, good morning. Uh, this is a little off topic, but I have a question about um, student loans. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of, well, I guess it's all relative, but about 180000 in student loans. And I've had this loan, actually two loans, but for 20 years, more than 20 years, and it, the principal never seems to go down. I pay on it every month, mm-hmm. and I just, I don't know what to do. Uh, should I refinance it? And if I do refinance it, does it, is it then something my family would have to pay off if, at my death? Um, okay, so firstly, are these uh, federal student loans? Yes. Okay, so federal student, I mean, that's good. These, uh, in some ways, kind of have the best terms. Um, mm-hmm. Do you know what payment plan you are on? What do you mean by that? So there are a variety of payment plans. They can put, I mean, you're obviously not on just a 10-year amortizing plan, but there are income-based repayment plans. There are repayment Mm -hmm. plans that maybe involve only interest or very minimal payments at some point. Do you know? Oh, you know, I don't know. I haven't looked at it or talked to anybody about it in so many years. I just kind of ignore it, and, you know, it just comes out of my account every month, but... The other morning, I happened to mm-hmm. look at it, and the rate has gone up to three point. I'm sorry, I'm driving in the rain. Three point eight seven five, and I thought way back in the day that it it was stuck at two point three or something like that, and I was told, oh, it'll never change; it'll always be at two point three. Uh huh. Well, so, hmm, I mean, that's interesting. Uh, I don't. Variable rates are less common for uh, federal loans. Uh, one thing, what I would do is I would call your um, your servicer. Uh, even federal mm-hmm. loans have a variety of servicers, and just ask mm-hmm. them about the different repayment plans. Uh, typically, especially for someone with that amount of student loans, uh, mm-hmm. and I mean, it, again, all of this kind of is going to depend on exactly what your personal situation is. If you make half a million dollars a year, I would say you can pay that off and pretty quickly and call it a day. If you make a lot less than $180,000 a year, um, then getting on some sort of interest-based, uh, income-based repayment plan is going to be uh, the best idea. Often, uh, for ones that you've had that long, you may be eligible for something like repayee, which is revised pay-as-you-earn, R-E-P-A-Y-E. And that uh-huh. is going to limit it to 10% of your discretionary income is what your payment is going to be limited to. And after about 20 years of on-time payments, even if they're very small, even if they're not covering the interest or, or whatever, um, then the rest of your loan is forgiven. Um, there are this is this one thing about student loans is, especially when people have a high balance. I mean, this is for everybody out there. Look, they there are so many very generous options out there, and you can just let your student loan sit there, and you can let that balance grow or not shrink, and it can be intimidating, and you can skip payments, and you can get letters from your issuer and everything. You can just ignore it. You can try to run from it, but there are very generous repayment plans, and you just have to make sure you are on the correct one, and when you are on the correct one, you have to make sure you do everything 
everything to make sure you remain in compliance and you stay on that plan. So something like repayee, revised pay as you earn, it's based on your income. And you do have to recertify your income every year uh, with mm-hmm. the issuer. But, I mean, that's something you're, you're going to have to talk with the uh, your student loan uh, servicer about that. Um, and and those a lot of plans now do come with built-in forgiveness at the end of 20 to 25 years, just depending on um, what payment plan you get on and when your loan was issued, things like that. Um, yeah, that, how long has this repayee program been available? Uh, several years. They, they've always had income-based repayment plans, which you may be on an older income-based repayment plan. Um, the mm-hmm. older ones are not nearly as generous. Um, okay. I'm not quite sure. Maybe five to ten years. Repayee is a little newer than payee. Yeah. Um, right. But uh, that's it's definitely that. I, I don't know if that is the best option for you, um, but right. that's uh, an example of of you know, kind of one of the more generous ways that you can pay back that loan. And you know, right. there's there's no reason from now uh, that you should wait more than another twenty years before they at least uh, magically disappear. I got you. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for the call, Susan. Um, let's do one more item on uh, online trading before we move into margins. And that would be, as we mentioned, you could sit at home in your pajamas and open mm-hmm. an account and off you go. Uh, but obviously, you would need to do you need to know what you're doing. And I would think someone that doesn't kind of know what's going on could get themselves into real trouble. Uh, yeah, you're still buying stocks and bonds and funds and you still have all of the risks of buying stocks and bonds and funds just because it's easy easy to do doesn't mean that there's no trouble there there's no risk there um, you know, companies can still go bankrupt. Companies can still stop paying on their bonds. They can still, you know, fail to launch a new product or make more money. Uh, so, uh, you know, that risk is still there. You still need to understand, you know, is this a good, you know, if you're buying a stock, is this a good company? Is this company going to continue to make and, and increase the amount of money that they make in the future? Um, you know, if you're buying a fund, uh, does this fund strategy, does it make sense for things that actually work in the market? Uh, do I trust this manager? Uh, because ultimately you are giving your money to someone else to to invest for you. Uh, and, you know, part of that's going to be looking at their track record. Um, part of that is looking at who they are and how what they say and 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 how how they are doing that and fun you know if they say oh like we we love uh value companies that are beat down and and you know they can't go any lower and they pay a good dividend if you look at their portfolio and it's you know got amazon and google and facebook as the top holdings <laughs> somebody's not telling the truth here and um and and that's a sign that you shouldn't trust that um that manager okay uh we'll move on what is the meaning of the term trade on margin Okay, so margin, the concept here is uh, that you are using borrowed money from the brokerage or you are they are letting you trade on money that isn't exactly in your account. Um, So margin can let you do two things Um, in the kind of simplest kind of not really uh, not really added risk sort of way. It's uh, when you sell a stock, it actually takes uh, now it takes two days for the money from the sale to show up in your account. So you don't actually have that money in your account. But oftentimes, and they're getting a lot better about this, the broker w- will still let you trade on that money. 
And that's that is a, a very minimal trading on margin because they're kind of fronting you the money or you know uh, you know putting their name behind that money that, that that you're using to trade even though you're not you're not using more money than's actually in your account. Um, using margin for leverage is borrowing even more money from your broker. So if you have a margin account, uh, this margin account versus cash account is the distinction here. A cash account you can only trade with the cash that is in the account, settled cash in the account. A margin account will let you uh, typically, there's a limit uh, um, set for most folks at kind of two to one. You can borrow an extra dollar for every dollar you have. Um, brokerages can allow, you know, end of, um, Individual brokerage, they can look at your account. They can say, oh, you're a little more trustworthy or you're a little less trustworthy and let you borrow a little more or less. Um, and there are even more ways to kind of expand your leverage. But they are letting you trade on their money. Um, but that that's obviously a whole lot more risky because if you – Say you have if you have a dollar in your account, you borrow another dollar, and then you lose a dollar, you lose your dollar. You don't lose the brokerage's dollar. They'll they'll get their dollar back. Um, but that makes it you know you can you have the chance to increase your returns, but you also have the chance to increase your losses. This kind of reminds me of when you see a movie in a casino and someone is you know getting money from the house mm-hmm. to to gamble on. It's it's a similar sort of thing. Exactly. And, and again, I would think that. Uh, Trading on margin, and again, these are all advanced, but this is another one that you probably need to approach very carefully and make sure you really know what you're doing before you dive into this. Absolutely. Um, and I wouldn't really use, again, we, we talked about day traders earlier. They often use margin because they want to use a smaller account. They want to amplify this trade, uh, but they want to close it out really quickly as well. Um, so that that's one way to, you know, someone might you know have a very legitimate need for using it, but it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for a long-term investor. You do have to to pay for margin. I mean, you have to, you're borrowing money from someone, you got to pay them. Let's take one final break this hour. When we get back, we'll continue our discussion on margins. Also, we hope to talk a little bit about uh, risk before the end of the hour. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. If you'd like to join the conversation, call us at 1 877 MPB Ring. Our phone number is 1 672 7464. We'll be back to wrap up the program after this. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. 
Welcome back to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Kevin Farrell here with Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives and co-author of the book Piggy Planet, Prudent Investors Get Going Young. Uh, we're talking uh, currently about uh, trading on margin and the idea of margins. Uh, uh, we've got some time left and some open phone lines. If you want a personal finance question answered, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring It's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 So trading on margin is borrowing money money from a brokerage in order to uh, trade uh, stocks. Uh, what are the margin requirements and who sets them? Um, so again, we kind of discussed that you're limited in how much you can borrow. You know, if you have put a dollar in your account, you can borrow one more dollar, for instance. Um, and, and that's kind of a general limit that a lot of people are going to be subject to. But uh, brokerages do have some flexibility in saying, okay, you can borrow a little more, or borrow a little less, um, if they think you're a good or a bad um, risk. Um, but, you know, again, the important thing to remember is, you know, if the price is going against you, if the price is going down, you are losing your money first, and your brokerage is going to step in and sell uh, before they lose their money. And that is called a margin call. And that is kind of, you, you know, kind of hard to believe after a couple of years of the stock market just going up. But uh, prices do go down sometimes. And people face margin calls. And the brokers will sell their security before uh, before they start to lose money on it. And they'll just take that money right out of your account. Because otherwise, the loan is... It's unsecured. I mean, they're only securing, they're loaning you money and they're only securing it against the stocks. Um, they have control of that account, uh, especially if it's a margin account. And then they, if they wake up and see that price going down, they can, they can hit that sell button for you. And obviously that's, as you say, they're covering their, uh, them, themselves on that one. And that exactly. certainly makes sense. So I'll talk a little bit then about some of the other risks involved uh, in trading on margin. Obviously, as you say, if if the stock price goes down, you could lose your money. Uh, absolutely. Um, and you lose it in a very harsh way. Even And this happens, I mean, there have been kind of great examples, uh, especially in smaller stocks, in penny stocks, people trading penny stocks on margin is a ludicrous idea. Buying penny stocks is avoid it um, unless you know absolutely for certain what you're doing uh, but you know these are volatile volatile stocks but they're also thinly traded so a single trade can move the price of the stock and if you have it on margin uh, forcing your broker to sell a lot of it all at once can be very bad for the price of the stock and so there, I mean, there have been examples. I want to say with Martin Shkreli's uh, pharmaceutical company, um, I forget the name of it. There was, I mean, one day it opened way far down because a lot of people had it on margin and it had moved down a little bit. It moved down enough for margin trading desks to say, okay, we got to stop in and sell it. And so that just generated a ton of sales, which pushed the price down even further, just really exacerbated the problem. But even though the price bounced back the next day, um, you'd already lost the money. Um, so even if you were like, okay, I know it's going to fluctuate in the meantime, just remember, they're not going to sell it at the high point for you. They're going to sell it at the low point, and that's your loss. So, um, again, the um, trading on margin, it's at the discretion of the broker. If you have a bad track record, are you less and less likely to get 
money loaned to you in this way? Um, if you have a track record of not being able to cover your margin loans, if I were a broker, I'd certainly loan less money to you. Okay. Uh, one last topic to talk about, and we'll wrap up the show talking about uh, concentration risk. So mm-hmm. uh, we've heard the old advice, you know, don't put all your investment eggs in one basket. Uh, so uh, what are some ideas about um, managing uh, risk or, or making sure that you're, you have a diverse portfolio? Uh, so there's a couple of ways. Uh, first, when we look at kind of security level, we're looking at stocks. Say you buy individual stocks and, you know, if one of the stocks in your portfolio is like 50% of your portfolio, that's a lot. Um, I typically want to limit an individual stock position to 10. 10% is a big position, uh, I, I feel. Um, it takes... Uh, you know, some people say I think mathematically about eight positions will keep will take away a lot of the market risk for you. A lot of folks think about thirty positions will take all the market risk away for, for you. So just think, you know, if one position is bigger than you know one eighth or one thirtieth of your portfolio, that's kind of getting to be a very big influential position. And so, while if you you know you you buy a large amount of stock because you believe that uh, company is, is going up and you want it to have outsized influence on your portfolio. But the part of risk management is also knowing it'll have an outsized impact on your portfolio going the other way. Uh, so again, if something is 10% of your portfolio and you lose 50% of it, then you've lost 5% of your portfolio. Um, if it's 50% of your portfolio and you lose 50% of it, you've lost a quarter of your portfolio. And that's a lot for just an individual company. So first things first is limiting individual stocks uh, to you know a certain percentage of your portfolio. And secondly, diversifying even beyond that, saying not only am I going to have, say, large U.S. companies, but I'm also going to have foreign companies and I'm going to have small companies and I'm going to have bonds and I'm you know, not just going to have uh, oil and gas stocks, but I'm also going to have technology companies and bank uh, shares of banks and I'm going to have um, industrial companies. So it's, there are all sorts of ways to categorize and class uh, securities. You can say what they are, if they're a stock or a bond. You can say, is it a big company, a little company, U.S.-based, foreign-based? Um, what sector is it in? And any of those classifications or definitions, you want to make sure that is Diversified. You want to make sure that is dispersed amongst a lot of that type of classification. Because, again, large U.S. companies, for the most part, tend to act like large U.S. companies. Um, oil and gas stocks, for the most part, they tend to act like oil and gas stocks. Obviously, there's dispersion within each of those sectors, which in each of those classes. But you, want to, um, you do want to remain diversified outside of those as well. All right, so less than a minute ago, one of the other things on here that I thought was interesting is say, says to look under the hood of your mutual funds because, again, we know that mutual funds is a group of stocks, but you want to be even diversified and make sure that you're not too concentrated within each mutual fund. Yeah, absolutely. There is a great example, uh, the PowerShares QQQ, the tracking, tracking an index, tracking the NASDAQ index. Apple rose a ton at one point, and it was, I want to say it was almost 20% of the index, and that is a huge amount, and so they did, they just recalculated the index. Uh, This was a number of years back. Recalculated the index in such a way that um, no single company, even if it got, even if it was a huge, huge, huge company, it would not, um, 
take up that much of the index. All right. That's going to wrap us up for today. Thanks to everybody who called in this morning. Money Talks is a production of MPP Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, one way to find it is to go to mpbonline.org slash talks. Our show is produced by Liz Gill. So for Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell, inviting you to stay tuned. Up next, it's In Legal Terms. That's followed by Southern Remedy at 11. And we'll be back next Tuesday at 9 for another Money Talks. It's heard only on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.